Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. Thanks for joining us today. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today comes to us from the Hudson Valley in New York State. He is one James Hearn, formerly of The Way Home, and has released a new solo album under the moniker King Pine. For our conversation today, we are going to be discussing the late, great Gord Downey from the Tragically Hip and his 2001 debut solo LP, Coke Machine Glow. Downey's backing band on Coke Machine Glow, in case you're wondering, was credited as the goddamn band. And we'll be hearing about the goddamn band in just a little bit. Um, One other thing for our listeners, this particular record spawned an online music publication back in the early aughts, which is kind of similar akin, you could say, to uh, Uncle Tupelo's uh, song, No Depression also a magazine as well. So without further delay, let's welcome James Hearn to the show. James, it's it's great to hear from you. It's great for you to be on the show. Thanks for stopping by. It's good to hear your voice, my friend. I, I thank you for asking me. Yeah, it's it's been a while. We've uh, yeah, I we think we played a, a, show, you know, a show or two together. Yeah. The years ago. Oh boy, ago. maybe. Yeah, at the old Milk Boy, I think in Ardmore. Oh God, you're right. Yeah. Ages, ages oh, ago. Man, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's really it's great to hear your voice too, and we're going to be talking about Gord Downey here, being out on his own for the first time, so to speak. And uh, what inspired you to choose this record? What does it mean to you? Uh, well, I uh, I grew up in Western New York, um, which means I was within about a hundred miles of Canada. And the reason I bring that up is that I found in my experience that if you've never lived within a hundred miles of Canada, you've probably never heard of the Tragedy Hip. Whereas if you did live within 100 miles of Canada, they are one of your favorite bands. It's kind of the rule. Um, They're one of North America's greatest uh, guitar rock bands from the late 80s until the mid-2000s when when Gord Downey tragically passed from from brain cancer, uh, which was a devastating loss to the community. so, uh, you know, I growing up in high school, I'd always seen reviews of their shows, and I'd seen them a couple times in in various enormous uh, kind of situations. Uh, and then I happened to run across this record on the internet around when it came out. Um, there was and maybe still is a website called Maple Leaf Music where you can buy Canadian artists at Canadian CD prices, which was you know twelve bucks Canadian at the time, um, which was nice, like eight bucks for a CD for me. Um, yeah. And I picked it up, not really knowing what to expect. Uh, and we'll talk a little more, I'm sure about both the hip and this record, but, uh, where the hip is a very bar rock, big guitars, kind of bluesy, but not all that bluesy, but, uh, just a very, uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but a big rock band. Uh, this record is, is extremely airy and, and open and acoustic and and lovely in a way that I was completely unprepared for when I first heard it. Talking with James Hearn, songwriter James Hearn of King Pine here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. We are speaking about Coke Machine Glow, which was the first solo offering from Gord Downey from the uh, Tragically Hip. Um, kind of alluded a little bit to the goddamn band who is backing Gord up here. 
so who is the goddamn band and why i wonder why gord chose these particular uh set of players well it's it's a funny story actually um some of it, you know, in the, in the late, late 90s, uh, Gord was kind of starting to write some tunes that he sort of thought might not be hip record kind of tunes. And, you know, he was trying to play guitar more. He never used to when he was, when he was earlier in the project. So he was, trying, he was starting to think about this kind of thing and talking to some people from other bands he was working with, but they should do a record on their kind of side. Um, and he had made a plan to work with a series of players in a studio in Toronto and they had sessions booked for the summertime. And uh, the day they had a pre-prod session in March, that day the studio found out they were being evicted in May. Uh, and so Gord kind of said, oh my God, can you get me any time that you can between now and then? Like whatever you got open, I'll take it. Despite that half the band he wanted to use is going to be on tour. Uh, Kevin Hearn from the Barenaked Ladies, no relation to me, of course. Um, Kevin Hearn plays on like, two songs because he was there for the pre-prod session, but had to be on tour when the actual recording happened. Um, Trav, uh, Don Kerr, the drummer also was there for a couple songs and then had to leave. Um, and so in that it was this kind of scramble to pull together whatever time he could get. And with whatever players, um, it was initially going to be produced by Stephen. It was produced by Stephen Drake, who is the, uh, uh, guitarist and bassist from a band called the odds who are, uh, coincidentally this the second concert i ever went to the odds opened for the gym blossoms uh in rochester new york um so stephen drake was one of the songwriters for that band he's a fantastic producer and guitar player and songwriter josh finlayson from the sky riggers is also going to be producing it and playing guitar on it um but so most of the rest of whatever band gord had intended to use was suddenly not available um he brought in uh dale morningstar uh, from a band and Dave Clark from a band called the dinner is ruined. The dinner is ruined is a, a very avant-garde experimental noise rock kind of band, um, which is sort of one of the really cool things that came out of this is that, uh, the sky riggers and, and the odds are both fairly conventional in delightful ways, but conventional rock bands. Um, whereas the dinner is ruined is, you know, way, way, way left field. And so there was this kind of headbutting that went on, that I gather was fairly amicable, but uh, this idea of, you know, the, the bassist and one of the guitarists and trying to sort of contain this, like, let's make a hit record kind of feel. And then the drummer and the other multi-instrumentalist just kind of making noises to see what would happen if they made them. Um, he brought in Julie Dwaran from Eric, uh, Eric's trip to sing and play some bass. Uh, the filmmaker Adam Egoyan played on it randomly for a song or two. It's sort of, there's a degree to which it was a lot of who's around, who's in town. I'm kind of looking for this sort of sound. Who can come do that? Uh, and whoever that is shows up. The rhythm guitar player for the hip came in and sang harmonies for a couple songs, Paul Langlois. Um, so there's an awful lot of just, uh, you, you look, you play something. Come here, come play that thing here. Yeah, now kind of, kind of like an on the spot collective if you will yeah very very much so it was it was an, intended to be a kind of a live in studio album uh but i think it ended up being far more live by virtue of oh shit who can we get and we have no rehearsal time by the way so oh crap let's go we're talking with james hearn songwriter james hearn here on cover to cover specifically about 
Gord Downey of the Tragically Hip and his solo record, Coke Machine Glow. So, James, you've talked about growing up in Western New York, about 50 miles from Canada. Um, can, can you give us a little bit of an anecdote as to where you first heard the solo record? But let me backtrack here for just a moment. Were you familiar with the hip before listening to this solo record? Okay. I came. I came to. I came to this from the hip. Uh, when I was, this is one of my all-time favorite music stories in the world. Uh, I was probably seventeen, maybe, um, and it was a spring morning, and I didn't have to get up and go to work for the first time in some number of months. I had the morning off, and I woke up and I was listening to the radio and just thinking, you know, nothing's getting me out of bed today. I had the radio on. I got nowhere to be. There's an amazing indie rock station in Rochester, New York called WBER, which uh, the only station that matters. It's fantastic. I love it to death. They're my people. So I've got BER on. I'm lying in bed. I'm 17 years old. The world is in front of me, you know, and, and this song comes on. And I said a minute ago, nothing would get me out of bed. And this song got me out of bed to go to the phone to call the station and say, what is this? It's amazing. Um, it's a song called A Head by a Century by the, talk, the Tragedy Hip. Um, it is probably in my top five all-time songs. It's just a beautiful piece of writing, a beautiful piece of arranging, a beautiful piece of playing. Everything about it is great. Um, and after that, I was, I'm out. I'm all in. Let's do it. Uh, so I got a couple of hip records. Uh, I saw them for the first time at an amphitheater outside of Buffalo, New York, with 15,000 people um, on the tour before this year, I guess. So I was aware of them, and it was in a very nascent internet day. Internet days, I, I saw that he was putting out a record, and I I ordered him, like, gimme. Bring it to me now. Yeah. So I was probably, I was in college, and uh, I imagine that that was a time that I had a lot of spare time to listen to music <laughs> when I, you know, wasn't going to classes and whatnot. So, um, it just reached in and touched me. It just reached in and said, hello, like there's something so warm about it and something so ramshackle in a kind of, uh, falling down kind of way that really just felt homey to me. Talking with James Hearn here on cover to cover with Matt Tarka about Gord Downey of the tragically hip, but we are talking about his, Solo record uh, titled Coke Machine Glow. Now, James, you, you, you kind of briefly mentioned this, but do you think the Coke Machine Glow was just a complete departure sonically as a whole from everything that Tragically Hip had done up to that point? Or do you think there were like maybe some little hints in some Tragically Hip records that said, okay, maybe there's you know space for some sort of more ambient, quieter types of tracks? There's a song on the last hip record before this one, which is an album called Music at Work. And the last track on it is called As I Wind Down the Pines. And it's this abjectly beautiful, like two guitars and a piano and Gord singing it. It's a super, super lovely ballad that I just adore. Um, and I'm not sure from whence that came. This record certainly was, was a result of Gord writing in a way that he hadn't ordinarily before. Like he typically in the hip from what I gather the guitar players and bassists would write kind of grooves and hooks and then he would write lyrics to them or take poetry he'd already written and put it to those my, my understanding is that was the structure of how they wrote whereas for this record a lot of the things were him playing guitar to write um, which he had not done a lot of at that point what are your favorite tracks on this album let's let's get right into coke machine glow what um what are some standouts 
for you what or or we could you know just go completely track by track it's totally up to you well i could say that the first uh the first four i think are are phenomenal phenomenal you know the first track is a spoken word piece over a piano and, a, and an accordion and, and Gord just talking and then a, a Vancouver divorce uh, San Francisco song and Trick Rider are just three absolutely beautiful pieces of, of work uh, the Vancouver divorce is this incredible like fuzzy guitar sound that um, that from what I gather they were recording so quietly because Gord was just sitting in the middle of the room with a nylon string guitar playing the songs over and over again while the band learned their parts and, and decided what to do with things. So they were playing super, super quiet. So I have no idea where this guitar tone comes from, but it's this incredible, big, just boomy guitar thing, both on Vancouver Divorce and San Francisco Song, um, that I believe was Dale Morningstar, who I'm told just would hit wrong notes to see if he could make them right somehow. So you get some these really interesting tonal choices coming out of the out of the sonic guitar end of things. Um, and then Trick Rider is just this abjectly beautiful song about being a parent, which I am, I am not a parent and I have no particular intention to become one, but, uh, I still appreciate the idea of, of watching someone that you care about so much and, and hoping that they, uh, can do all the things they want, even though you're worried they'll be hurt. And it's just, it's just a phenomenal piece of writing. Um, San Francisco song has a, has a sight gag in the lyric sheet, which is the way that Gord Downey works. Um, as a writer, as a, I, I hesitate to say poet, but I also don't really hesitate to say poet. I think he's an amazing, amazing writer, but um, he's also the kind of guy who will in fact write in sight gags. So there's a line near the end of SF song. Uh, this is uh, just, and there's a bus with a Marlboro ad on the back. that says, Bob, I miss my lung. Simply says, I miss my lung, Bob. It's because I paraphrase so much, but I think it was, I missed my lung, Bob. And the joke in there is that the comma keeps moving, whether it's saying that his lung is named Bob or his friend he's talking to is named Bob. There's a joke in there, which, of course, you can't hear because you can't hear commas. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just – it's a very <laughs> it's a very Gord Downey way to approach things is to write that as a piece and then think, oh, I can fit that to a melody. I can make that work as the – punchline to this song essentially um that the whole song is kind of about like him trying to gather his recollections of waking up at a hotel and going downstairs and 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 being very hyper aware of all the things that are around him um and trying to recall correctly what they all are i think it was i think it was i think it was um and that he's not sure what the marlboro ad says because his mind made him think it was about his lung bob not him talking to his friend Bob about how he his lung. And it's just, it's, that's the level that Gord is working on as a writer kind of all the time. He, and he's, and on stage, he's this like batshit crazy, like leaping around acting out scenes that he's playing in his mind, like writing poetry on the fly kind of performer. Like he's, he's a madman. And then you like sit down and look at the lyric sheets like, Oh man, this is so much deeper than I ever realized. And in some cases it really is like the punctuation. It's the, it's the, the structure. Like he really does write like a poet and then adapts it to fit pop songs, which is just like this super bizarre way to be. Um, 
but they come off as so beautiful and there's these striking images and uh and wild internal rhymes and and a lot of them have been workshopped with him just like rambling around the stage while the tragedy hip played loud guitar rock absolutely it's this is just a serious departure from the hip in so many ways it's you know from a production point of view um it, I, it almost seems like they decided to just record some air in the room and just use that as a separate track in the studio for additional ambience that they were kind of working with, you know, to complement, you know, some songs like SF song where there was just like a little bit of a piano fluttering off in the distance and some light mandolin, you know, that just sort of like kind of intercedes before that, just like some really just interesting, you know, unconventional production choices. Yeah, and they did the whole thing on eight tracks. Like that's really? the, that's an eight track board. So they had to decide what to mic and what not to mic at all times, and like what could and couldn't. There's, there's barely any overdubs. Almost all done live because they couldn't really do a whole lot of overdubs because um, they didn't have any tracks left. There's at least at least two songs that the uh, that Paul Langlois, the singer for the Hip, sings on. Uh, they had to delete something else to put him in. Because uh, they just were out of tracks, like it's that it's that kind of situation where there was a, at least one about a fiddle part that just got they decided the harmony vocal was more important, and so they left they just tossed it. Like that's the sort of decision. But I guess the room, uh, from what I've read, the room was the Fibonacci room, so it was all to that ratio, that Fibonacci ratio. Um, yeah, and so the the sound of it, like it was a whole studio room, was built to be that. Uh, that space and give that kind of reverberation, that kind of perfect uh, dynamic sort of thing. So I get why he wanted to do it there uh, for sure. I would, I want to do one there too. Uh, Unfortunately, it hasn't been a studio since 2001. Talking with James Hearn here on cover to cover with Matt Tarka, all things Gord Downey from the tragically hip. And we're just focusing on his solo record titled cook machine glow. Um, What's next, James? Are there any additional tracks you'd like to discuss in more detail? I mean, it's 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 such a vibe record. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm even looking at it and thinking I can only I, I I tend to put it on and just let it live, I, and I live in that space in that extra air that they've recorded there. So, like, there's a couple of them. Like, I look at the title, I'm like, I don't even know what song that is for the title of it. You know, I just I know the hooks, I know the feel of it. I think it's just a it's a remarkable piece of music chancellor is beautiful uh black flies is great lofty pines is great uh elaborate is kind of ridiculous and silly and fun um i'm in love with your every irrelevance you know like it's just it's just a it's just so good (laughs) and it's just i I love the it's hard hard to take it apart because it because so much of it is that that mood that it creates you know it's just over an hour and I can't deconstruct it on some levels because it just, it's just that hour in like a sunny Sunday wood built studio. I don't know what it is. Like it's amazing. Yes. He, he treads into all kinds of like really cool territory. Like, you know, I hear a little bit of, I hear, I hear the Beatles in there, like two Mm -hmm. of us. And, um, there's a little bit of a velvet and velvet vibe on lofty pines and, you know, I think there's a little bit of Roy Orbison in there. Like the guy's an encyclopedia. Yeah. And, of great and stuff. He's just, he's just, and he's, he's also, I, I met him once 
and he was the nicest man I've ever met in my entire life, bar none. It's the Canadian thing, I suppose. But uh, he did a meet and greet mm-hmm. for 60 people after a show he played to 90 people uh, in 2004. And this is a guy who, at about that time, there wasn't a room in Canada big enough for them to play one night. If they played indoors in Canada, they had to play two or three because they just couldn't fit the crowds. And he played to 90 people in Philadelphia. I got the story from one of the bouncers that they tried to call that morning and tried, the venue tried to call him that morning and cancel because they're like, listen, we're a 600 cap room and there's 85 tickets sold. We're going to lose money. You're going to lose money. Like everyone's going to lose money. Let's just cancel the show. And the response apparently was Gord said, but. 85 people paid to come see it. Why wouldn't I show up? Right. Came, played a set, a fantastic set uh, to 90 people, and then did a meet and greet for two thirds of them. Uh, which, you know, 60 people at a meet and greet, especially in a, in a room like this, you kind of think that's going to be 15, 20 minutes. We're in, we're out. Like, hi, thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for coming. You know, I expect this, whatever. Two hours. He spent two hours talking to 60 mm-hmm. people because they were there and they want to talk. Uh, and it was like, he would, he looks you in the eye and he shakes your hand says, hi, I'm Gord. Who are you? And mm-hmm. he signs whatever you put in front of him. And he talks to you about whatever is on your mind, whatever you mention, he'll go with it. And you'll get like a real two or three minutes, at least a real two or three minutes of Gord Downey's time where he is fully functioning on you. It's fascinating. Real deal. Real yeah. deal. Just a devastating loss for the world. We're talking with songwriter James Hearn here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka about Cord Downey from the Tragically Hip and his solo offering Coke Machine Glow. And, uh, you know, for a moment, James, we were talking a little bit about Lofty Pines. And um, there was a lyric that jumped out for me where he goes into French. And uh, unfortunately, my French isn't the greatest. It really doesn't exist at all. But um, which is actually the, the joke one, of the song the one too. That, is it is it really? Because I was going to ask. You know, there's a line in here that's he speaks a line in French, and then he says she said in her Manhattan French. I'm wondering if that was kind of tongue in cheek to the uh, French Manhattan drink. If somebody was just so completely loaded and he just kind of like switched the words around to Manhattan French. Oh, that's interesting. I never I don't thought know. about that. I just assumed it was sort it of was a New York weird observation. I thought it was yeah. a New Yorker thing. They could speak French, but that's actually, I kind of like yours better. Um, and it wouldn't in any way surprise me for that to have been the rationale for that. Uh, a French Manhattan drink is a half ounce Chambord liqueur, one and a half ounces of Woodford reserve bourbon, one dash of bitters and one cherry. If that was an inspiration, cool. If it wasn't, cool. <laughs> but just an observation, so nonetheless. You're poor in there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he, uh, it's, hard, it's hard as a non-Canadian on some level to talk on about this. But like uh, Gord Downey, part of why they were so, so big north of the border is that he wrote – Canadian songs in a lot in a really like real kind of way. There were phrasings and references and just ideas and like and again I can't entirely speak to it not being a Canadian person, but he like 
the the understanding I have from those people I know who are Canadian, those I've seen talk about the hip, is that like he really just wrote to the Canadian identity in a way that almost nobody does. Um, and so like this whole bit about the Lofty Pines Motel, I haven't looked it up. I probably should. I wouldn't be surprised if Lofty Pines Motel is like a notorious tryst place outside Toronto. Like, that wouldn't surprise me at all, you know? Um Mm-hmm. He's the kind of person mm-hmm. who will make these these references to things that any Canadian who's driven from X city to Y city would know the sign, you know, that kind of thing. Like uh, this really fundamental, the way that some some Americans can write this great, like, you know, middle America kind of like the way of life there. Like he did that for Canada in a way nobody else mm-hmm. did. Um, when they did their the final show – yeah, yeah, exactly. When they did their final show as the Tragedy Hip uh, before he had to retire because he was dying, um, it was web. It was live streamed by the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, and I and I want to say a third of the country watched it, like a full third. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, it was on at bowling alleys. It was on at drive-in theaters. It was on at bars. It was on everywhere, uh, and all told, I believe they said literally one third of Canadians watched it live. James, I'd like to shift gears a little bit here and uh, talk a little bit about cover art. And uh, when you look at this front cover, what what kinds of images are conjured up for you? What what do you gather from it? Um, it's hard to answer that now because it's so nostalgic for me in a way. Because it's just like I've had this album for half my life at this point. Uh, and it's just, it's the, it's the orange outside with a sort of a pinker inner circle. I don't, I don't know what to say about it besides that it, it feels very sunny and warm and, uh, that feels like it fits with the record. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when I, at that meet and greet, when I met Gord, I gave him my copy of Coat Machine Glow to sign and he wrote, dear James, orange, whoa, Gord. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which was my reaction as well truth be told but but um yeah i don't i don't have like a deeper story for it besides that i like it and that it's it's very diff it's it's much brighter than most of the albums i own uh and so it, mm-hmm. it has a very like large and friendly letters saying don't panic kind of feeling to it to me um you know, and again, having gotten it when I was so young and listening to it and having it just be this like airy, lovely, wonderful collection of super acoustic, quiet songs, that that feels like it fits to me. Yeah, it's very stark. The, the actual title of the record is all black, all caps. His name is all caps, all white lettering. It's yeah, I think it's it feels like a good representation of what to expect some really stark songs, but very beautiful songs. Nevertheless, what do you think? I agree. I agree. I think it, like I said, I think it, it gives that in that impression of sun. And for some reason, this record to me feels like it was tracked at like 11 AM on a Sunday, you know, in a studio with a big window. And everyone's in this kind of like golden early spring glow of the sun coming in as they all cut these like really airy reverberant songs. Um, and that's always that's just kind of always been the feel of it to me, and so the the cover kind of gives me a little bit of that color, a little bit of that like 
feeling of warmth and 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 okayness. Mm-hmm. Even as the record has these really interesting, weird, dissonant moments and 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 odd textures um, brought in a lot by the dinner is ruined, bringing in their kind of weird uh, experimental directions to things. But it's still these very beautiful kind of uh, not quite folk songs, but folky kind of songs um, with then just these really fascinating sounds around them. James Hearn of King Pine. Thank you so very much for being on the program today and talking about the late, great Gord Downey and his uh, first solo offering, Cook Machine Glow. Thank you for having me. Thanks, I'll man. Talk about, I'll talk about Gord anytime you want. It's good to hear from you. You too. Everybody check out James Hearn online at jameshearn.com. His music's great. Thanks for being here, man. You're great. Thanks for having me. My special thanks to James Hearn for taking some time to stop by the program today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it's Google, Stitcher, Amazon, Apple, or wherever you dial into your favorite podcasts. Take a moment to tell a friend or tell some family members about our show. Let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. That'll certainly help us appear higher in search results. And as always, feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicola at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover.